Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and you're all around hiring guru. And you know it is my mission to bring you top-notch guests every week. And I don't think I'm going to disappoint you this week either. So let's get to it. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Deb Coviolo founder of Illumination Partners, LLC, author, podcast host of The Drop-In CEO, and influential speaker. With over 20 years of experience, Deb works with leadership within businesses to solve immediate problems that are holding their businesses back. Deborah, welcome to the show. Why hey, do I Casey, keep calling I you Deborah? S- You're Deb. I know this. <laughs> hey, I'll answer to anything. <laughs> Husband calls me Debbie. You can call me Deb, Deb or whatever. <laughs> I'm just so excited for this conversation. It, it's going to be a great conversation. I know you've got tons of knowledge nuggets for our audience. Um, but first, we always like to start with the question, how did we get connected? Oh, oh, the beauty of the network, Frank Agan, an amazing human. We met on a networking uh, meeting, a lot of crazy people, a lot of engaging people. And you and I just had so many things in common. So we got to talk to each other. And that's how we wound up here today. So uh, grateful for the network and getting to know you. Thank you so much. And I've been so grateful to get to know you too. I was just, I was just like enthralled when we had our first one-on-one conversation after getting out of the hub and, you know, what the networking hub, that's what Frank I I call it the hub and we're hubsters, you know, (laughs) but it has been such an amazing organization. And I just love the philosophy that it's based upon, which is that of give and take. If you're a follower of Adam Grant or Bob Berg, the go-giver, same philosophies. It's just so important that you give, but you also allow others to give and fill your cup as well. Oh, no, it's been an amazing experience, and I've been grateful for what I have received. I have appeared on a couple podcasts. We are here today, and Frank Agan, who has brought us together, has also been on my show. So um, love giving, love serving, love providing valuable content. So thank you so much again. That is so awesome. So let's get to your content. So you help leaders clarify their vision, elevate their team, and achieve greater results. What are some of the new challenges that you see leaders face today that they may have never faced before? So thank you for that question. And it's one of those things that's quite interesting. They call it the great resignation. Well, it happened because of the pandemic, but you know what? There are going to be other crises in the future for which humans rule the world, employees can start dictating what they want to do and on what terms. And so they may float and move around a bit more than just simply being loyal to one company. And so the business model for leaders might change. And while some large corporations may have the means to have every single role resourced 100% of the time, that might have to change. Because sometimes when you have the same amount of people in a role and the roles change, then are people doing their most efficient work? I suggest leaders look at their resource model a little bit differently and focus what their core competency is and that what that 
a pool of people looks like. And then all of those other experts might be on a contract basis to come and go and fill strategic projects for the time that is needed at the highest value. And they go and they come. So we no longer look at a retention model only around your core competency and leverage the amazing talent that is out there when they need at the highest value. That's what I think they need to be thinking about. I, you know, and I'm so glad that you brought up the great resignation because this is something that's, you know, top of mind for me as a recruiter is that we are seeing so many um, eligible laborers and workforce exit the workforce right now. And I think that that is going to be, that's a challenge when I'm talking to my hiring managers and I'm dealing with those leaders that you're dealing with, that's the biggest struggle. So I think you just nailed that on the head. Yeah, and leaders need to think differently. It's not just, I got to fill a role and check the box. But leaders need to think a little bit differently about what value do I need right now? Because job descriptions and the needs of the business change, and so should the people in their skills if they are working in a corporate role, but then maybe in the resources you need. And you should try to develop the internal talent, but you may want to look more outside and bring the highest valuable talent that you can bring in, and it may be for six months, 18 months, two years, or maybe three months. Just look at staffing a little bit different as a core competency and people coming and going. That's a new business model. You know what, and I think this really leads nicely into my next question for you because, you know, when getting to the root of the problem, your approach is getting leaders to think differently about how to solve it. And that's exactly what you're talking about right now. So what are some of the techniques that you use to shift their minds? So problem solving is one great area. And what I'm seeing in business is so many leaders are experts and they have the answers to everything. I know how to solve that problem. And they do a lot of talking <laughs> and not enough listening. There are a lot of experts in the room, but somehow because everybody is an expert and we celebrate their expertise for having the answers on the spot, people lose perspective. They don't see what the greater outcome is. And what I propose that leaders need to do to think differently is they need to listen more to the information that's in the room, regardless of what it needs to be problem solved, and ask more questions than being the answer person. Because we could maybe have something like a customer complaint, the customer's mad at us, so hurry, scurry, they have the answer, we're gonna make the customer whole. But a leader needs to differently and say, okay, we can fix the problem today, but we're gonna have that same problem tomorrow unless we ask deeper questions. Is our talent able to do the transaction or deliver the product on a consistent basis? Have we paid respect to them to give them the tools they need to be successful? Those are the questions the leader should ask and then only then you can solve the right problem that will eventually help with customer relationship, quality, et cetera. Leaders have to ask better questions. That's what I suggest they do differently these days. I love that. And I wanna share something with you real quick because yeah. I don't believe in coincidences. I think we talked about this. I believe in what I call synchronicity. So when things come to me like two times, like rapidly, I'm like, hmm, what am I, what is somebody trying to tell me? And so what you just said was also said to me this morning at a networking event that I went to, and we had a great speaker there, Bob Bodine, if y'all don't know him, he's the author of The Power of Who, and he also wrote a book, Two Chairs, which I'm gonna go get and read. But his theory and what he was saying, he's saying the exact same thing. We talk too much. He goes, I want you to practice this, one minute of talking, four minutes of listening. That's exactly what I said. 
Leaders should listen about 70% of the time, speak about 30%. And and there's a little trick in there why they should do that, because when they do come forth with a question or something to say, they sound like they have great wisdom, but really all they were doing was the collective input of the team, empowering the team, taking the best, and then coming forward with that. So that's a little power trick, but that's what leaders should be doing. You're going to get a better outcome. Absolutely. I love that. So, and you just wrote a book all about this. So can you tell us a little bit about your book, The CEO's Compass, and what inspired you to write it and what can we learn from it? Okay. So The CEO's Compass, um, first of all, if you really want to know the truth, nobody knew what I stood for. Deb talks a lot. Deb has all these thoughts, but you know, messaging as a leader is important. And they just knew, okay, she's smart. She has a lot to say, but didn't it was not clear what I was saying to the world. And so as leaders, we need to get clear on our values Mm -hmm. and our talking points. My frustration was seeing high potential C-suite leaders that had lost their confidence. I had been one of them with no roadmap, no coaching. And so I had to write the book based on experts that I had interviewed and my own personal experience to give them a compass, a compass that when they look inside of themselves and examine their leadership style and what might need to change and actionable tips about how to get back on track. It's not like here's how you build an organization, but when you hit a roadblock, situations change, you need a compass to get back on track. I had to write the book so that C-suite aspiring leaders didn't have to struggle as much as I had to. Would you recommend this book to somebody that wanted to become a leader? Absolutely. So here's the interesting backstory to that. I was with my book coach and I says, oh, this book is for everybody. It's for the CEO. It's for the aspiring C-suite leader. It's for the emerging leader. Deb, You have to write it to one audience. So hence the title, The CEO's Compass. But you know what? Anybody can pick up the book. If you are a developing leader, an aspiring leader, you can already start implementing all of the solutions, either in how you show up or if you have the opportunity to lead other people in coaching and developing the next level of leader. It's for any leader that is going through some kind of transformation and needs to get to peace of mind or true north. I love it. I love it. In fact, I am going to recommend, so we, when I say we, I mean VIP, we just recently made the commitment to sponsor a networking group called the Young Executives this year, or what we start, we pick up in January. And I really believe that's the reason I asked this question, that this might be a really good roadmap for these young executives. They're hungry. They're, 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 they, they want to go out and make a difference in the world. And I want to do whatever I can to empower them. So if this book will do that, I'm definitely going to use it as a tool. I so appreciate your insight and you recognizing that that is a gap. We send them to get an MBA, a management higher degree. We put them out in the workforce. And then a few rise to the top that look like they're the high performers and we give them all types of executive leadership coaching. There is like 80% of the population that is aspiring and doesn't have that support system. Mm. Those are the future leaders that are maybe left behind, that they are rock stars and then something changes and they lose their confidence and they never realize their true potential. So I sincerely appreciate you recognizing that demographic of leader that needs the guidance and support of people like yourself and other coaches and perhaps the CEO's compass to, they don't have to struggle as hard. You know, maybe they'll go off track. They can use it as a resource, but it can also pave the way to make life simpler and get to what you want much faster. 
You know, and I, that's so brilliant that you just said all that because I am so, I almost want to cry when you're like, some of them get left behind. I'm like, no, nobody gets left behind, you know, everybody on the bus. <laughs> and so I just, it really makes me just want to go out there and find more that I can help. So I would encourage anyone that's listening to this, if you are one of those young executives and you need help um, or you need a mentor, I'm actually running our mentorship program for the young executives reach out to me, reach out to Deb, because I know either one of us would be just more than happy to help you out to, to, so that you get the career progression that you're looking for, because you deserve it. Yeah, and thank you for that. And I also talk about why can't everybody be a high performer? So I can't stand somebody being identified as a poor performer, an average, and the high performer, because we as leaders sometimes have not taken the opportunity to ask different questions of these different demographics that we perceive, and we put them in a box, we put them in a spectrum. So I think everybody can reach their highest potential. That's why I do this work and so appreciate the work that you're sponsoring. Well, thank you. And we are so excited to be a part of it and have just a, you know, a small impact on the world because that's what it is and I mean, we could go in a totally different direction but i want to talk about leaders today <laughs> but i'm glad we had that little tangent i really am so i know this is i believe this is in your book but you help one of the things you do when you go in is you help leaders identify their strengths or their team strengths so that they can better delegate i'm horrible at this and feel confident in work performance so what advice can you share with our leaders to help them to take steps to identify the skills in their team so they can delegate well, there's a couple, there's two parts I'd like to answer this. One is, um, I'm just going to go back one step, mm -hmm. delegating work. Yes, we absolutely have to delegate the work. We need to develop our teams. We can't do it all. The first thing though, I would ask the leader to do is, is all that work valuable and necessary? Because if you have a hundred tasks and you want to delegate 20, but nobody cares about the 20 and they're not adding value, you're delegating garbage to your team. So a leader first has to clean house to see what is the valuable work that does need to be done. And then once you clean house and decide what is valuable, then you can delegate. Mm. So that's the first point I'd like to make. But in terms of strengths, first of all, there's two things. I, I do talk about a SWOT analysis. What are strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? And we dwell on the weaknesses and I say nay to that. <laughs> what we should be doing is first ask everybody, what are you technically good at? What are your strengths? What have you been rewarded and elevated? And put that on a sheet by the name of each of the people. Oh, but you must I ask a powerful that. second question. You have to ask a second question. What are you passionate about? Mm -hmm. Because it may not be what you're good at. So for case in point, you may have a subject matter expert. They are the go-to person to solve a particular problem. But what if they are really love teaching and training? That's their passion. They love lighting up new recruits and showing them they're not that knowledge. Rather than maybe delegating to them more technical projects, might you consider making them the lead or the trainer to develop the next level leaders or technical experts? That's the beauty of delegating by combining strength and the passion, what that person brings to the table and matching it to the work content that you can delegate to them because that's their superpower, their zone of genius. That is so good. I, I love everything you just said because, you know, for the longest time, I was doing something I was good at, but I wasn't passionate about it. I think I've said this a hundred times on the podcast, you know, I started out in accounting and then did not find my passion until I switched to recruiting. Um, and it was miserable. And then once I found my passion, I'm still using that information and that knowledge that I gained from those years in the accounting industry. But 
I, I, my life just changed and opened up and became so much more fulfilling. And that's why it's my goal to help people find their passion so that they don't have to work a day in their life. They're going to be excited when Monday rolls around. And that's beautiful. And that's beautiful. And we're all on a journey and I too as well. I'm very good at going into businesses and solving quality efficiency issues, getting a certificate. I'm good at that, but I love seeing the light bulb go on, training and teaching somebody who to have a new skill or regain their confidence and say, I can do that. I can do that now. That's the passion work I love to do. So I combine it. If I could do the other one full time, I would. But what I do is I blend it. When I go into an organization, work with a leader, I see how we can elevate the talent as well. And when you do that, when you put people on their passion path, they're only mm -hmm. going to elevate the leader even more. Oh my, do I have a story. Oh boy. <laughs> Well, it's one of those things, unleash the passion and you'll see what happens. I had a person, subject matter expert, could fix any manufacturing problem, go into a computer, and he was just the fix-it person. And I put him in a role to start teaching people how to do problem solving. And then I watched them. And then he'd say, Deb, come into my office. I have a new way of teaching this. The next thing I knew, his program for teaching people how to think differently and solve problems manifested itself into solving a global issue that was causing major customer complaints because he helped the people really, really get to the group, the root cause. He was passionate about helping people see the light and not doing the things the old way, but thinking differently. He flew with that. He was great at it. And then guess what? what? He resigned. What? He resigned because he had an opportunity to go and be a plant manager and influence hundreds because he found his passion. That's the beauty of unleashing somebody's passion. It is, yes, and again, we can go off on another tangent, but <laughs> it is so important. And I encourage everyone, if you are not happy or fulfilled in what you're doing, sit down and journal out why and what might make you be happy. Somebody gave me the best advice one time. They said, Casey, what did you love to do when you were three years old? And I was like, I would put these boxes together and I'd build a stage and then I'd stand on it and I'd make everybody watch me and I'd entertain them. At least I thought I was entertaining them, right? At three. And <laughs> how does that translate into an accountant? So I think it's a really, it's a fun exercise, number one, but it can really enlighten you as to what your path might be. Absolutely. And, you know, there's nothing lost if perhaps you left who you were as a child and you pursue a noble career, earn a good income and do what appears to be fulfilling work. But promise yourself, give yourself time that at some point, maybe if you're in job transition or have an opportunity to go into a new role, think about what you used to like as a child. Mm -hmm. I used to create, cook, arts and crafts, write, sing, read, everything. And I rediscovered that. And I am now doing that a lot, but it feeds the soul. And when the soul is fed, then when you go in and service your, your team, the company, or a client, you just put your best work out there because you've taken care of yourself mm -hmm. and the creative needs or the work you want to do. So very important to your point, reflect back on what did you absolutely love to do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We're going to try to get this back to you again. <laughs> so you have three phases within your consulting, assess, identify, and solve. What phase is the hardest hurdle to get past when working with leaders? 
Interesting one. And I think I'm going to take it back to what I said before is the solve. Everybody's an expert. It's one of those things when you're shooting at a target, people will shoot, aim, or, or, or shoot, then aim, and they're just starting to shoot at things and they're wasting a lot of time and energy. So I need to, people need to think differently about pause. Don't go for the solution yet because the real mm. problem might be under your nose. So I often, again, in my teaching and training, I say, slow down, everybody. We may think we know what the problem is based on our past experience, but you know what? If you peel back the layers a little bit, maybe we need to interview a couple more people, find out what exactly is happening. And you might say, oh, that third shift person didn't have that procedure to know how to do such and such. And that's why we didn't get the product in the right way. You could see them in a manufacturing phase. <laughs> We have to not jump to solving problems and have discipline and patience as a leader, set up the problem the right way. I'm getting ready to teach this course and get collective input from a lot of people. And only then do we find out what truly the solution is. So patience and discipline for leaders. Okay. And how do you, how do you empower them to have that patience and discipline besides, I mean, do you teach them breathing techniques? What do you, cause I definitely don't <laughs> um, have patience. Yeah. I have discipline, but no patience. Well, what I do is I slow things down. So for instance, they say, hey, we had a quality problem. The customer's complaining. They're going to send the stuff back to us. I say, well, wait a second. So why? Well, you know, the QC missed it. They let it out the door. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I slow things down. Mm -hmm. I said, what happened? Where did it happen? What happened? How many? I slow things down and ask them, can we just clearly understand what went wrong? And they say, oh, we shipped the customer the wrong color on this date uh, on first shift. And when we slow things down just a little bit, then you can say, oh, that's interesting. Is something different between this shift and that shift? Oh, no, no, they're exactly the same. Okay, great. What happened on that date? Well, actually the expert was on vacation that week. Oh, new information. So what I do is I just slow things down. Does everybody understand the problem? Do we have all the information? If we talk to enough people and then we start bringing people and say, okay, well, what could it be and what it's not? By my training, again, I'm in operational excellence. I think leaders need to slow down, get all the people in the room that potentially could have understood what the issue was, ask a lot of questions, pause, and then only then start seeing if we can get to the problem. It's about disciplining leaders to not jump be patient before you try to solve something. You may be solving the wrong problem. Mm, that's, that's really good advice. Make sure you're solving the right problem, right? So otherwise it, it, you're going to deal with it again and the customers are going to get upset with you. So that good point. Good point. So, <laughs> um, so I'm curious, um, many of our job seekers, they'll leave their job because of bad leadership right? And that doesn't often mm -hmm. come through in the interview because people are on their best behavior, right? When they're interviewing or they should be. Um, so what are some questions that job seekers could ask to determine if the person that's going to be, they're going to be reporting to is going to have the leadership style, number one, that they want? I had to think long and hard about this one. I have never been asked this question before, but there's, there's something really important. Take advantage of any pauses in the interview or when they say at the end, is there anything else you'd like to ask me? Oh my. <laughs> you could ask, hey, tell me more about this, this, and this. But I would say 
ask questions about their values. What's important to you when you're not here? What, what do you like to do? You know, break it up a little bit and find out what makes them tick. Do they like spending time with family? Do they like spending time with uh, sports? Do they work 60 hours a week and on the weekend they're reading all kinds of books? You can learn a lot to see if their values are the same as yours because when they can be able to express your values like, oh, I share those values, you might have a fighting chance of working for a leader that you can align with. If they provide values that are not yours, that may be a sign uh, that it might not work out because they're going to carry those values into the work life, the work, the workplace as well. I, I'm so glad. Values. I'm so glad you brought up values because this is something that I have really been researching and studying and coaching my candidates on lately is because so many of them say, I have to have this job. And I'm like, no, you don't. Don't try to fit a square peg in a round hole. You need to ask these questions. You need to get to the bottom of it because you don't, if for some reason they answer a question the way you don't like, that means they don't align with your core values and you're not going to be happy there. And it doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means they're not yours. And so it's so important to go find a company that absolutely believes in what you believe in. For example, one of my internal rules, one of my biggest internal rules, and I'm sure everybody's sick of hearing it about it in our audience is give value first. So wherever I show up, I want to give value first without any expectation of receipt, anything in receipt in return. Right. And so I think that when I went to VIP, that was really the impression that I got from them because, and here's what I clued in on. In my interview, they didn't say, this is what we, I want, we want you to come do for us. They asked me, what do you want to do? Oh, wow. Yeah, powerful. And you know what? A couple of years in, big pivot. And they asked me again, what do you want to do now? And I said, I wanted to go do this. And they said, okay. <laughs> So I think it's so important that you align with a company that believes as you do, because if I was in a company that didn't allow me that flexibility to pivot and have that same, we were just at lunch today with a, you know, a person that has a company that could be very, um, very synergetic to ours, doesn't compete with us, but you know, and there's no reason in the world why we would help her. And my managing partner sitting there going, you know what? We've got all these contacts in our database. Next time you hold an event like that, just let us know. We'll send a, we'll send out a notice to all of our clients that for this particular area and let them know you're holding this uh, training. And to me, that's, that's giving value to her, but then it's giving value to our clients to provide this um, leadership training to them that's going to be for free. This is probably the best piece of advice that I never had when it came to trying to find the right company or client. Um, but I will tell you, it may not always be in what people say, but just look at the interactions they have with other people. Like for instance, maybe they interrupt the interview because somebody needs some help. Oh, can you hold on a second? I need to help this person. That shows not disrespect, but they really care about the people on their team and want to provide that value and service right away. And then they come back and apologize. Said, we needed to help that person, blah, blah, blah. You can pick up on signs like that um, to show that they care about people and customers. And that could be an indication of, oh, I think I want to be a part of that team. I love it. Deb, you're not going to believe this. We are running out of time. <laughs> you, I am good, but oh my, time flies. <laughs> it, it's so much fun. And I know the last time you and I spoke, it, it did the same thing. I'm just like, oh my gosh, we got to go. We got to go. We both got hard stops. But I do want to save the last few minutes to ask you our VIP questions. Are you ready? Okay. 
I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of fun with these questions. You know, when we were first starting the podcast, we had no idea how popular they were going to be. But I was like, you know, I want some kind of signature questions at the end. And so we came up with these questions. And over the years, we have just gotten some some crazy answers. I'm just going to say that. So, so my first question, let's see what you come up with, is if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? I'm not going to be very interesting, but it speaks to my values and what's important. I'm going to bring my husband. He's my best friend. He's the only person in the universe that can deal with me. So, <laughs> and I need him to listen to me. I bring a cookbook, a cookbook because I love cooking and feeding the soul. So when people get to a new place like Mars, they're going to need to eat because they're going to be venturing out and they just need the soul filled. So that's like that comfort and of home. And then my sneakers, because I find <laughs> I love to walk. I love to walk. I need to walk. I need to blow off steam. Those are the times that I can think through things and I have my greatest inspiration. So bring my husband, check the cookbook and my sneakers. <laughs> I love it. I haven't got sneakers before. That's new. <laughs> um, this is probably one of my favorite questions. I, I love them all, but I really love this one. So what is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? Um, I actually write because if I can't express myself in a journal or a blog post or something, I, I just like ask my husband, I start acting a little bit irritable. For some reason, the creative process of writing down a thought of the day, and like you said, being in service to others through my blog post, I feel fulfilled. I go into flow, I put something out, and then I come out of it. And it's like, oh my, my mind is clear. Yes. I'm ready to go. Yes. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. I'm, a, You know, I'm a huge proponent of journaling, in, especially in the morning. So I love that you brought that yes. up. So, okay, <laughs> my final question. If your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? I'm trying this out for the first time publicly. Again, it's about who I am and what I do, but uh, I am about guiding aspiring leaders to the C-suite with confidence. Mm. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Do it well. So, well, Deb, I just have one last thing to say to you. You are a VIP. Thank you so much for the opportunity. This has been amazing. And good luck with the rest of the podcast. Thank you. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com. <laughs>